Good morning, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> We're in a series about listening to God. And today we come to the bit of, about Jesus teaching about prayer. Do you know, the first sermon I ever preached in this church was about prayer, and that must have been about 20 years ago. I said back then that I wasn't an expert, and I'm still not an expert. I'm speaking to you as one of us, not as someone who's got it sorted out. We're all on a discipleship journey, aren't we? And moving forward and growing all the time. At least that's the plan. So... Let's look together and see what we can learn from Jesus this morning. The Jews did a lot of praying. They did it several times a day at set times. Most of their prayers were supposed to be prayed at home. But if they were out at one of the set times, then it was okay to pray where they were. So, of course, some people made sure that they were out when the set times happened, so that they could make a show of standing on the street corners or in the synagogues and praying loud and long to impress other people with how holy and pious they were. Another problem with Jewish prayers was that they had set words, so they became very familiar. So although many people prayed them with love and devotion... Others rattled them off as fast as they could to get them over and done with. And you know, that's one of the potential problems with liturgy or with having services out of a book, that we can become familiar with the words and we can be in danger of rattling them off without really concentrating on what we're saying and what we really mean. So that's something we need to guard against. The first point that Jesus makes about prayer is that it's all about God. Our prayer has to be real and genuine. It's absolutely not about impressing anybody else. He says in verse 6, when you go into, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And the word that's used here for room is the word for the storeroom of the house. And it would be a room probably without windows, and with the only door in the house that would lock. So what he's saying is, be by yourself with God. Jesus says, don't babble like the pagans. Some of the non-Jews or pagans at the time used to recite multiple formulae in their prayers and repeat over and over again the same long, complicated magic words. God doesn't need this. In our prayers, we don't have to use formulae, and we don't have to use spiritual words. We don't have to try and sound intelligent, which is just as well for me. We just talk to God in a natural way. It's okay to use a framework for praying if that helps, but it does, and it doesn't mean that we can't use repetition at all. But if we use the same words every day, then they can get very stale. Prayer is not a technique, and certainly not a performance. It's a relationship. When you know someone well, your communication doesn't always involve talking. In fact, if you talk all the time and don't listen at all, your relationship is likely not to last very long. 
But sometimes you just spend time together in silence or spend time walking together and enjoying the countryside or listening to music together. It's the same with God. Sometimes we don't talk, we listen. Sometimes we just enjoy being with him and discovering things in his creation or walking with him or working with him or just being together. If we're in a close personal relationship with someone, we'd probably want to speak to them every day or preferably spend as much time with them as we can. It's the same with God. If we want to build a relationship with him, we need to spend time with him by ourselves every day. I know that this can be really difficult, particularly in certain phases of our lives. But that's what we need to be aiming for. We know this, don't we? We've been told this before. We know that we should make it a priority. There is also a time for praying together. There's something very powerful about the people of God coming together to pray. Jesus said in Matthew 18 verse 20, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Jesus gave the disciples this pattern for prayer. He didn't mean that they should use the same words every day, but of course countless Christians do use exactly these words in a slightly longer form every single day. We need to note that it's a pattern for disciples, so not for people who don't know God yet. And it's intended specifically for corporate prayer, prayer together, although it can be helpful for individual prayer as well. We know that because it says our and us and we rather than my and me and I. You've probably heard many, many sermons on the Lord's Prayer from people much cleverer than me. So let's think of this as a bit of a revision session. It's quite an appropriate time of year for that. So (laughs) Jesus starts off with our Father in heaven. And he uses the word Abba, which I'm sure you know translates best as Daddy. He's saying God is approachable and he loves us, which is pretty amazing in itself. But even more so when you consider that he is our Father in heaven. It reminds us of the power and awesomeness of God. When we say our Father in heaven, it puts the love of God and the power of God together. Hallowed be your name, or may your name be treated as holy. The word that's translated as hallowed is hagios in Greek, which literally means different or separate. So he's saying, let God's name be treated differently than other names, or let God's name be given a position which is unique. In Hebrew, though, The name isn't just what someone's called. It means the nature, the character, the personality of the person. In Psalm 9 verse 10, it says, 
those who know your name will trust in you. So that doesn't mean that everyone who knows that God is called Jehovah will trust in him. It means that those who know what he's like, who know his nature and his character, will put their trust in him. So, God, our Father, is approachable. But we must approach with reverence and in awe and wonder. Your kingdom come, verse 10. The kingdom of God was central to Jesus' message. When Jesus first appeared in Galilee, he came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4, verse 17, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. In Luke 4, verse 43, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. It's an incredibly important part of his purpose here. Jesus speaks about the kingdom in the past, the present, and the future. So in Luke 13, 28, he says that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets are already in the kingdom. In Luke 17, 21, he speaks of it as the present when he says the kingdom is within you. And in a lot of places, he teaches that the kingdom is for the future. For example, in the parable of the ten bridesmaids and the parable of the talents, he says nobody knows when the kingdom will come, but that we should pray for it. How can it be that it existed in the past, it exists now, and yet we still need to pray for it to come in the future? Well, according to William Barclay, who was a very well-renowned Bible teacher, part of the answer is in the Hebrew style of parallelism. He says that the Hebrews tended to say everything twice. They said it one way, and then they said it again in a way which explained or amplified what they'd said. Almost all the verses in Psalms illustrate this. So, for example, Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In Psalm 27, verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And there are literally hundreds and hundreds of verses that do the same thing. So if we look at the whole of verse 10 of Matthew 6, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if the second part explains and amplifies the first, then we have a definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a society where God's will is done as perfectly as it is in heaven. This explains how it can be past, present and future. Any person who does God's will perfectly, or maybe in our case, who aims to do God's will to the best of their ability with the help of the Holy Spirit and repents when they mess up, is part of the kingdom of God. So it's about individuals 
living in community. When each person makes their own personal decision to submit to God's rule and reign in their own life, then the kingdom of God comes. And yet, here on earth, we never see it as completely as we will when the kingdom fully comes in the future. Possibly because we never get everybody to be doing the will of God perfectly all the time. Jesus then moves on to give us today our daily bread in verse 11. There are two points we might consider here. Firstly, it's give us today, not give me today. The problem of this world is not that there isn't enough food and resources to go round. It's that the distribution is completely inadequate. So that while some people waste masses of food, others don't have any. Which is completely scandalous, isn't it? The other point is that if we pray for bread and then just sit and wait for it to fall into our hands, we're likely to be disappointed. Prayer is a bit like faith in that it demands actions. We have to work to answer our own prayers. There's a story that's told about a man with an allotment that I really relate to. So this man had a piece of ground that he'd had to reclaim. So he dug out all the brambles. He cleared all the weeds. He collected up all the stones. He constantly battled with those beastly weeds. He enriched the soil and fed it until he produced the most beautiful flowers and splendid vegetables. And one evening, he was showing a rather pious friend around his allotment. And the friend said, It's amazing what God can do with a piece of ground like this, isn't it? Yes, said the man who'd put in all the hard work. But you should have seen this piece of ground when God had it all to himself. (laughs) You see, God's bounty and people's hard work have to go together. We can do nothing without God. But God is severely restricted in what he can do for us if we don't work with him. After all, on earth, we're the only hands and feet that he's got. So we can help God to answer this prayer of give us our daily bread by giving to others less fortunate than ourselves, maybe by contributing to the food bank or giving to Genesis or Eagles. The prayer is not only that we will receive our daily bread, but that we will share it. Verse 12 says, forgive us our debts, or as the Luke's Gospel version has it, forgive us our sins, as we have already forgiven others. Some people don't like to be described as a sinner and don't really relate to the concept of sin. There are several different words for sin in the Bible, but basically, sin means failing to be the best that we could be, or crossing the line between right and wrong. And that's whether it's done deliberately, 
or whether it happens in a moment's lapse of concentration, or failing to pay what's due. So, failing to be the best we can, crossing the line between right and wrong, or failing to pay what's due. The New Testament is very clear that we have all sinned. But thankfully, Jesus has made a way that we can be forgiven. It's really important for us to realise that God's forgiveness of our sins is not earned. We do not earn forgiveness by forgiving others. We could never earn it. The issue is that forgiveness, like all of God's gifts, brings responsibility. If God forgives us, we have to pass it on and forgive other people. If we come to God with unforgiving hearts, we are being, we are being hypocritical. If we can't or won't forgive other people, we don't have the right attitude to enable us to receive God's forgiveness. There's no doubt that forgiveness is difficult. We need to ask God's help to do it. But if Jesus could pray, Father, forgive them, for the people that were crucifying him at the time, surely we should be willing to try to forgive the people who've damaged or scarred or offended us, even if it takes time and a lot of work. Unforgiveness actually damages us more than it damages the person that's committed the offence. So if we can forgive and let go, it's actually very beneficial for us. Maybe we could pray that God will turn our pain and anger into understanding and love. If you need help with forgiveness, please, please talk to somebody that you can trust and get someone to pray with you, either the prayer team or your home group leader or your prayer triplet people or just a friend. But don't let it fester on. Finally and quickly, there will be difficult times ahead for individuals. If you read Revelation and Daniel about the end times, it's not nice. There will be hard times for individuals, for the church, and for the world. If we follow Jesus, we cannot expect to be spared from all of it. But we can and should pray to be spared from the worst of it. So, in summary, I have six points. Sorry. (laughs) Prayer is about relationship with God. We need to communicate with him Often, but not talk all the time. Secondly, God is our Father and He is approachable, but He's also holy. We need to approach Him with reverence and awe. Thirdly, God's kingdom comes as we all take the individual decision that we are going to submit to God's will in our lives. Fourthly, When we pray to God to supply our needs, we're also praying for the ability to share our resources. Fifthly, 
We do not earn forgiveness by forgiving others. But unless we do forgive, we don't have the right attitude to enable us to receive God's forgiveness. And lastly, we need to pray to be spared from times of trial. But the main point of the whole thing is we need to spend time with God.